This message is presented by Pastor Chuck Wilson. Okay, Chuck Wilson, New Hope Community Church. And we're in the book of Daniel, chapter 11. Almost finished with the book of Daniel. A couple shout-outs, first of all. I saw several people were following and uh, wanted to say uh, thanks for watching. Jody Alt. I grew up across the road from Jody and her family. And also Joy Patterson Parlier. I went to the, grew up in the same church with Joy Patterson. So it's great to have all of you watching. Good to see you. Uh, the title for today is Daniel Predicts Hanukkah. Daniel predicts Hanukkah, Daniel 11, 21 to 35. For those of you who are Jewish, you're going to really appreciate this, or you have some good friends who are Jewish, uh, share this with them. We already saw Daniel's connection to Christmas. What was it? The wise men, right? Daniel started the whole wise men thing. And then Easter, what was it? The triumphal entry and the cross. Daniel predicted both of them in an amazing way. And now we're going to see that he predicts Hanukkah, predicts Hanukkah way before it happens. A quick review, Daniel has this vision. We already saw, we started in the beginning of Daniel chapter 11. Daniel 1 through 35 are the events leading up to the first coming of the Messiah, the first coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And we stopped last week, we saw we ended up with Antiochus Epiphanes. We stopped right there, who is a picture of the Antichrist, a type of the Antichrist. And we already saw Antiochus Epiphanes earlier in the book of Daniel, and but we're going to see more details about him now. And then we're going to see where we get Hanukkah from, predicted, uh, before it even happens. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this amazing book. And uh, Daniel, who is an amazing man, but mostly, Lord, that you're an amazing God, and we can have complete faith and trust in you and your plan for our life, because we know you are in control. You're in control of what's happening in our lives, in our churches, in our country, in our world. Lord, I just pray that you would strengthen each person's faith. And if anybody has not put their faith yet in Jesus Christ, that today would be that day. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so let's pick it up here. We left off with uh, Antiochus Epiphanes. I'll read verse 21. We'll start with verse 21. <clears throat> he will be succeeded by a contemptible person who has not been given honor of royalty. He will invade the kingdom when its people feel secure and he will seize it through intrigue. So we, we know Seleucus IV was poisoned. His son should become the king, but Antiochus IV steals his throne. Steals his throne. This is what this prophecy is, is referring to. He was deceptive. Picture the Antichrist. We already saw he's a type of the Antichrist, just like the Antichrist. Verse 22 then an overwhelming army will be swept away before him, both it and the prince of, and a prince of the covenant will be destroyed. So, uh, he, Antiochus Epiphanes defeats Ptolemy VI. On his way home, he stops and murders the high priest Onias in 172 BC. He replaces him with a, a puppet high priest named Jason who bribed his way into the high priesthood. Verse 23. After coming to an agreement with him, he will act deceitfully and with only a few people will rise to power. He makes an alliance with Ptolemy VI, but he's really setting him up. He's the master of intrigue. Antiochus Epiphanes wants to get a picture of the Antichrist, what he's going to be like. Verse 24, when the rich provinces feel secure, he will invade them and will achieve what neither his fathers nor his forefathers did. He will distribute plunder and loot wealth among his followers. He will plot the overthrow of fortresses, but only for a 
time, but only for a time. He pillages the provinces under his control, the temples, the treasuries. He uses his money to buy mercenaries and bribe his way. We know all this from uh, history, but we also knew it ahead of time from Daniel. He's going to bribe his way all the way through. Verse 25, with a large army, he will stir up his strength and courage against the king of the south. The king of the south will wage war with a large and very powerful army, but he will not be able to stand because of the plot devi plots devised against him. Those who eat from the king's provisions will try to destroy him. <coughs> Excuse me. His army will be swept away and many will fall in battle. The two kings with their hearts set on evil will sit at the same table and lie to each other, but to no avail because an end will still come because an end will still come at the appointed time. So we know Antiochus Epiphanes from the history books sneaks down to Egypt with his army going after the king of the south, but he's not detected until he gets to the Nile River, gets all the way there. He says, I'm here to help Ptolemy VI. I've heard there's a revolt going on. Meanwhile, he's not there to help Ptolemy VI. He bribes Ptolemy VI's advisors. He eats with them. He has a feast with them to undermine him. Then he defeats Ptolemy VI's army. This was a shocking defeat for Egypt and for Ptolemy. It's like Pearl Harbor. It's like 9-11. It was a shocking deception. Then after he beats them, the two kings sit down to eat. They have a peace conference, which really was Antiochus Epiphanes getting what he wanted. But they were had a peace conference. They sit down to eat. They both were hoping the other one would choke on their food. <laughs> All right, Just like the Middle East today and what they're trying to pull off today. Verse 28. The king of the north will return to his own country with great wealth, but his heart will be set against the Holy Covenant. He will take action against it and then return to his own country. Once again, talking about what's going to happen in Israel. He goes home through Israel, but he's against the Holy Covenant. Look what it says here. And now remember, he he had put, uh, uh, let's see now. Uh, i got to get this straight here because of all the different high priests and stuff. Onias was replaced by Jason. Okay, remember Jason gave the bribe in order to become the high priest. So he replaced Onias. But after Jason got into place, Menelaus, just remember Menelaus, because <laughs> he's a bad guy. Menelaus bribes his way to the high priesthood. He pays Antiochus Epiphanes even more money to take it away from Jason who already bribed his way in. So he took it away. But Jason, the replaced not the murdered high priest, but the replaced high priest, Jason, who thought he was going to stay high priest because of his bribes, he got out bribed. He hears a rumor that Antiochus Epiphanes is killed in battle in Egypt. So he says, ah, oh, he's dead. I'm going to take it back again from Menelaus. Many louses, all right? He said, I'm going to take it back. So he does a coup. He replaces him. He becomes the high priest again. But shockingly, he heard a bad rumor. A bad, it wasn't true. Antiochus is still alive. He shows up and says, I'm, I'm here. Like a scary movie, right? He kills thousands of Jews, thousands of Jews. Uh, he over, he overthrows, um, he overthrows Jason, kills thousands of Jews, but he's just getting started because Antiochus Epiphanes, he linked his name, his real name is Antiochus, but he put Epiphanes, he put that on his coins. He links his name with God Theos. It means God manifest. God manifest. That's what he called himself. And that's a picture of the Antichrist, wants to be like God, wants to be God. The Jews called him Epimanes. They did a little pun. Uh, instead of Antiochus Epiphanes, they called him Antiochus Epiphanes. 
Epimenes, which uh, means madman, and not God manifest, but Antiochus the madman. He didn't like that nickname. Uh, verse, look what he does at verse 29. We're going to get back to what he does to Israel in a minute. At the appointed time, he will invade the south again. But this time, the outcome will be different from what it was before. Ships of the western coastlands will oppose him, and he will lose heart. Then he will turn back and vent his fury against the holy covenant, Israel, Jerusalem. He will return and show favor to those who forsake the holy covenant. So, he's, uh, so he's, he attacks Egypt again. He says, I'm going to go attack it again. But somebody stands against him. It is Rome. The prophecy is talking about Rome. Remember the iron legs and the statue? Rome is the new bully on the block. They're just starting to come up, come up and, and take over, and they're the toughest one of all. And they block him with their navy. They block Antiochus, what he wants to do. He has a face-off with a Roman general, and the Roman general says, Go home, Antiochus. Go home or else. Antiochus says, Well, let me think about it. And uh, the Roman general says, Take all the time you want. Pull out his sword drew a circle, walked in a circle on the ground around Antiochus and said, take all the time you need, but you must make up your mind before you step outside of this circle or else. <laughs> now you know where the mafia got these, these uh, you know, the, where they get all their, their, their strategies and, and intimidations, right? Uh, so he says, take all the time you want, but you step out of the circle, you're a dead man. So he's humiliated. He humiliated in front of his army. So who does he take it out on according to this prophecy? He takes it out on Ah, uh, let's see. Pick it up with verse 30 again. Verse 30 again. Ships of the western coastline will oppose him and he will lose heart. Then he will turn back and vent his fury against the holy covenant. He will return and show favor to those who forsake the holy covenant. His armed forces will rise up to desecrate the temple fortress and will abolish the daily sacrifice. Then they will set up the abomination that causes desolation. Remember all this? We've already covered it. Going to cover it again when we get the revelation. With flattery, he will corrupt those who have violated the covenant. Uh, so we, we see what he does here. He, he takes out his frustration on the Jews and Jerusalem. And the high priest Menelaus, many louses, remember the really bad guy who, who bribed his way to the top, and his henchmen, they don't follow the law. They're high priest, but he doesn't follow the law, no law. They open the gates on the Sabbath for this monster. The Jews are totally unprepared because they don't fight on the Sabbath. They're hesitant to fight on the Sabbath. They don't react in time, and by the time they do react, it's too late. Antiochus Epiphanes, the picture of the Antichrist, wipes them out. He kills 40,000 more Jews. He had already, earlier, just before this, he had killed 60,000. Now he's killed 100,000 Jews here. He takes the women and children as slaves. He burns the city. He plunders the temple. He sets up, his real goal is to exterminate the Jews, just like the Antichrist, right? Same thing with the Antichrist. He wants to Hellenize the entire empire. He sets up an idol of Zeus, an idol of Zeus in the temple, sacrifices a pig on the altar. That's, uh, he, he is, we'll go into a lot more detail the next, next section that we look at here in Daniel 11. It was terrible what he did. Josephus tells us, Josephus tells us, that this is what uh, I'm going to read. I'm going to read some excerpts from Josephus and different historical sources to give you a picture of what happened. Here's a, the historian Josephus. He says, King Antiochus, returning out of Egypt for fear of the Romans, made an expedition against the city of Jerusalem. History, 
saw it all prophesied. Now we see the history. Those of his own party opening the gates to him, he slew many of the opposite party and he plundered it of great money. After two years, uh, in uh, let's see, in the 153rd Olympiad, the king came up to Jerusalem and pretending peace, he got possession of the city by treachery on account of the riches that lay in the temple in order to plunder the wealth. He ventured to break the league he had made, so he left the temple bare and took away the golden candlestick and the golden altar, forbade them to offer those daily sacrifices which they used to offer to God. And when the king had built an idol altar, altar upon God's altar. He slew swine upon it and so offered a sacrifice neither according to the law nor the Jewish religious worship in that country. Once again, a picture, abomination that causes desolation, a prophetic type of the Antichrist, which we'll see in Revelation. The, uh, this is, this guy is brutal, brutal guy. All right. Verses 32 to 35 now, and we're going to finish this section for today. 32. With flattery he will corrupt those who have violated the covenant, but the people who know their God will firmly resist him. Those who are wise will instruct many, though for a time they will fall by the sword or be burned or captured or plundered. When they fall, they will receive a little help and many who are not sincere will join them. Some of the wise will stumble so that they may be refined, purified, and made spotless until the time of the end, for it will still come at the appointed Time. So we see that what we see prophesied here is the Maccabean revolt and the persecution that comes because of that revolt. Once again, this is all a picture of end times too. It's not just historic, but it's future, past, and future. This is a, a, a double prophecy. Past already happened and now it's coming in the book of Revelation. We see the Maccabean revolt and the persecution that comes about because of it. I'm going to read just something about the Maccabean revolt, first of all, a history from that. It says here, in 168 BC, Antiochus Epiphanes IV campaigned to squash Judaism. His vast empire, he made him worship the, the same gods. He wanted everybody to worship the same gods. He attacked Jerusalem, vandalized the temple, erected an altar an idol on the altar and desecrated it with the blood of swine, decreeing that studying the Torah, observing the Sabbath, and circumcising Jewish boys was punishable by death. When the Syrian soldiers reached Modin, they demanded that the local leader, Matthias, uh, Matthias, a member of the priestly class, be an example by sacrificing a pig on a portable pagan altar. He refused killed the Jews who had stepped forward to do it and also killed the king's representative with a rallying cry, Who is for God? Follow me. He fled to the hills and caves of the Judean wilderness, joined by a ragtag army armed only with spears, bows, and arrows, and rocks. The Maccabees fought a guerrilla war. Amazing, huh? A guerrilla war. Also, we see the, uh, some more details here from Josephus once again. Josephus says... He also compelled them to forsake the worship which they paid their own God and to adore those whom he took to be gods and made them build temples and raise idol altars in every city and village and to offer swine upon them every day. Many Jews complied with the king's command, but the best men did not regard him, on which account they every day underwent great miseries and bitter torments, for they were whipped with rods and their bodies were torn to pieces and were crucified while they were still alive and breathed. Remember what we just read in Daniel 11. Remember what we just read, saying what, how this was going to happen. 
book of Revelation. They also strangled those women and their sons whom they had who they had circumcised as the king had appointed, hanging their sons about their necks as they were upon the crosses. So they put the women on the cross and, and were crucifying them, and they hung the, the dead babies around their necks while they were hanging on that cross. Um, and if there were any sacred books of the law found, it was destroyed, and those with whom they were found miserably perished also. Unbelievable. Matt, Mattathias had five sons, and Judas, who was called Maccabeus, I think that was the hammer, I think. Uh, I didn't highlight this part. He fled with their children and wives into the desert and dwelt in caves. Mattathias got a great army about him and overthrew their idol altars. He called, uh, let's see, am I getting ahead of myself here? Uh, 26. Well, I'll just, uh, well, let me see here. Purified the land. Uh, Josephus, 327. I'll stop right there. Okay, so uh, that's what happened. The persecution, the, the, the uh, revolt, the persecution. They purified the land. Page 326. Oh, oh, here we go. He called for his sons. I'm going to read about the purification. And he, uh, they put those of their own country to death who had transgressed its laws and purified the land of all the pollution that were in it. So that's what they did. They, they purified the land. He ends up, the, the Maccabeans end up defeating Antiochus Epiphanes' army. They rededicate the temple. Josephus, page 327. Okay, I'm going to read Josephus again when we see the Festival of Lights. When therefore the generals of Antiochus' army had been beaten so often, Judas assembled the people together and told them that after these many victories which God had given them, they ought to go up to Jerusalem and purify the temple and offer the appointed sacrifices. They began to lament at the sight of the temple. It was a mess. They purified the temple, carefully purged it, and this desolation came to pass according to the the prophecy of Daniel, which was given 408 years before, for he declared that the Macedonians would dissolve the worship for some time. Judas celebrated the festival of restoration, sacrifices of the temple for eight days. He made it a law that they should keep a festival on account of the restoration of the temple worship for eight days. And from that time to this, we celebrate the festival and call it Lights. Call it Lice, the Festival of Lights. And then I'll read you a little history of Hanukkah here. And uh, the Maccabees came back, Temple Mount, reclaimed it, cleaned the temple, dismantled the defiled altar, constructed a new one. The Maccabees held a dedication called Hanukkah, rekindling of the golden menorah, eight days of celebration. Eight days of celebration. Over the years, this oral tradition was passed down, recorded in the Talmud, and listen to what it says in the Talmud about this, the miracle of the oil. It says, the, uh, it said that when they reclaimed the temple, that they found only a single cruise of pure oil still bearing the unbroken seal of the high priest, only enough to last one day, but it miraculously burned eight days. The amount of time needed to secure a new supply of oil to keep the menorah lit. Amazing miracle. Amazing miracle. And so we see the miracle of the oil. Miracle of the oil is central, but and, and that's where what we talk about with Hanukkah. It's, the miracle is central, but defeating the Antiochus Epiphanes was also a miracle. Just like the oil was a miracle, beating him was a miracle. It was 
militarily impossible, but God did it. God did it back to Antiochus. I'm sorry, back to Josephus. In Josephus, it says this. Let me read it to you. Just so, just so amazing to, to, to see this prophecy, to see this fulfilled, to see how God brings them through this. It's a picture, once again, of what we will face in the time of the tribulation, which we're going to talk about next. Some persons told, uh, talk, uh, King Antiochus Epiphanes, some persons told him of the defeat of his commanders, whom he had left behind to fight against Judea. He fell into a distemper. He told them that this distemper was severe upon him and confessed that this calamity was sent upon him for the miseries that he had brought upon the Jewish nation while he plundered their temple and condemned their God. And when he had said this, he gave up the ghost. He died. It was a brutal dying of worms. It was a terrible, terrible disease that he died of. So we see Josephus. We see the history. We see everything confirming this. So now we see Daniel's connection to Hanukkah. And the key is what did the, Mac the Maccabees and Hanukkah, the key is what did it mean to Daniel's vision? The, the, Daniel prophesied the Maccabean revolt. He prophesied Hanukkah. He prophesied this. But the key is what it really meant. It meant that the people were purified. They killed the apostates. Antiochus killed the godly, but the, the Maccabeans killed the apostate uh, Jews. And they purified the temple. They killed the false high priest. They purified the temple. They purified and prepared the Jewish nation for the coming of the Messiah. The coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, at Christmas, whenever that really was, at Christmas, that is the greatest miracle of all. So it's okay to say Happy Hanukkah. Around Christmas time, say Happy Hanukkah. Celebrate Hanukkah. Uh, it's all from Daniel. And it, it, whether you're a Jewish or Christian, we should be excited about Hanukkah because it prepared the, the Jewish nation, God's people, for Christmas, for the coming of the Messiah. And tell your friends, your Jewish friends at Hanukkah time, tell them thank you. Thank you because you have, you've met, you mean the world to us. You mean the world to us. You prepared the way through Hanukkah for the Messiah. Thank you. Hanukkah is all about purification. That's what it's all about. Purification. They purified the temple. They purified the people and prepared for the Messiah. And it's good to remember that each Christmas, remember, getting ready for Christmas each year when Hanukkah comes around, remember, get ready for Christmas. Get ready. Prepare myself. Purify myself. Just like they did for the first coming of the Messiah. It's a good reminder for us for the second coming. It's a good reminder for the second coming, which is what we are waiting for now to prepare and to purify and be ready for the second coming of Jesus Christ. That's very, very important that we're ready. Are you ready? Have you ever put your faith in Jesus Christ? Have you ever put your trust in the first coming of the Messiah? And when he came to die for us, he was born at Christmas for a purpose, to die on a cross for our sins, to pay for our sins. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Have you ever believed in Jesus Christ? Have you ever put your, the word means to put your faith in, not just, it's faith, heart, faith in, complete dependence, complete trust in. Have you ever put your faith, whoever believed in him, put your faith in Jesus Christ, his death on that cross in our place, his resurrection from the dead to prove he was the son of God and could give us a brand new life. Have you ever put your faith in him, given your life to him? Have you done that? 
going to pray and give you a chance in just a moment to do that. Uh, but as Christians too, are we ready for the second coming? Are we prepared? Are we purified? God is going to, in the USA and the church in the USA, just like the rest of the world, we're going to face refining fire. God is going to refine his bride and prepare his bride. He's going to separate the wheat from the weeds. He's already doing it. He's already doing it just like he did with the with the Jews at this, at this time, preparing for the Messiah. He's going to do it with his church, preparing us for the second coming. And that's what Second Peter 3 is talking about. In Second Peter 3, verse 11 to 12, he said, Since everything will be destroyed in this way, talk about fire going to destroy the earth. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. How do we speed the coming of Jesus Christ? By living holy, godly lives, purifying ourselves, refined, ready for the Jesus to come again. Are we doing that? Are we ready for Jesus to come again? Let's pray. Are we speeding the day? Are we living holy and godly lives? Are we being different from the world? Different from the world. Are we being conformed to the world or being transformed by the renewing of our minds? Are we taking a stand against Satan, against the world, against sin, against the deception that is hitting the entire world and really hitting the USA hard right now? Are we taking a stand against the deception because we have God's word and we're living according to God's word and we're living holy lives, holiness? Are we killing in our flesh whatever needs to be killed? Maybe you are hearing this and you aren't prepared for the second coming of Jesus Christ because you've never acted on the first coming of Jesus Christ. The second coming is kind of come as a conqueror and judge and set things right. But in the first coming, he came as the suffering servant. He came to die for our sins, to forgive us. He suffered for us on that cross. Have you ever acted on that first coming? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Have you ever believed in Jesus? Put your faith in Jesus. You can do that now. The prayer of faith. God, I repent. I turn away from. I ask you to forgive me from all of my sin. Everything in my life that goes against your law, your word, your purpose for my life, your perfect purpose for my life. I repent of that. I put my faith in Jesus. His death on that cross, his resurrection from the dead, I put my faith in Jesus. Jesus, I give my life to him. Father, I pray that each one of us would be prepared. Whether it's salvation or sanctification, I pray that each one of us would be prepared. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. If you ever need help breaking a stronghold in your life, I encourage you to talk to a Christian brother or sister, good church, good Bible study. If you need help connecting or need help with something, you can contact me or and if you've put your faith in Jesus and, and, and you don't have anybody you can tell, email me nhcc at comcast.net. I'll get you connected. I'll be excited for you. I'll help you grow spiritually. 
want to encourage you on that, okay? All right, we're almost done. A couple more. One, two more sermons in Daniel. Then on to Revelation.